The New Democrats have come off their latest leadership review and Jagmeet Singh survives to lead another day. Will it get the party further ahead? Welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand, or Unpublished.vote question over the past 10 days. Is the NDP squandering its chance by supporting the Liberals? While the delegates in Hamilton gave Singh 80% support, our voters sought a little different. 82.8 said yes, he should uh, he is squandering a chance. 16% said no, and under 2% were unsure. You can still cash your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote. Don't forget to email your MP afterwards using our tool to tell them why you think what you do. All comments on the unpublished.ca website will be entered into a draw for a free unpublished.ca annual membership. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. And have your voice heard. And joining us to discuss Singh's survival and how the NDP wants to exert influence in the next election, Tom Parkin is an NDP strategist and commentator. Marvin Ryder is with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. And Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co. And he joins us from Mexico City. Tom, now, well, let's talk about the, the, the convention first off. What did you get from the mood of that? Uh, there was there was there were different moods at different moments. Uh, the obviously any convention, any political party wants to set a positive mood, and wants people to leave feeling like they want to pick up a canvas kit and go out there and knock on doors. Um, and so the the party was effective to a certain extent to be able to do that. They did gather their message around a pharmacare. Uh, they did talk about the relationship with the liberals. I think successfully pulling that tension a little bit. Uh, which is needed. Um, on the negative side, you know, the, their current events around the world and between Palestine and, and Israel um, created a distraction, uh, though I would say the party passed a very, very uh, well-crafted uh, resolution condemning Hamas's terror attacks uh, and also calling for peace. Uh, so I, I think, it, you know, there was, there was a distraction uh, caused, but you know, which added to it, there was a tension because of that on the convention floor, but mostly it was frustration, I think, of of people feeling that um, because they have a certain view that they're allowed to uh, dominate the, the discussion. And they, well, obviously their view was not the one upheld by any means. So, you know, like any convention, you got to put up with events um, and you, some planning goes awry, but most of the planning, I think, you know, they got their message out. Marvin, uh, Jagmeet Sina Singh, his delegate, seen his delegate support slip over the last three leadership votes, 91-87, now down to 80%. Is this, is this a trend or uh, perhaps maybe the NDP delegates are just a little fatigued? Well, I think it is a trend, but it's a trend not of Jagmeet's creation. Um, what you have right at the moment is you've got two opposition parties in the PCs and the NDP who are watching the governing party, the Liberals, <clears throat> kind of shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again. And so the rank and file members are just all chomping at the bit. Let's get out there. Let's let's have another election. Bring them down. Will we, they're vulnerable. You know, it's kind of like the lions looking at the, the vulnerable wildebeest in the desert there kind of thing. Um, having said that, there's a reality here. And the reality is that elections are expensive uh, things to do. And the NDP are not necessarily, forgive me, Tom, they're not necessarily in the best uh, from a health standpoint financially. There's still debts that were lingering from the 2021 election. And this is why they, they decided to craft, I think, this agreement with the Liberals 
to say, here are some things we need you to do for us to support you. But in exchange for that, we won't bring you down. That'll give us a chance to regroup. They'll give everyone else a chance to regroup. Again, the risk of that, of course, is that the liberals could, could, and that's a big word, could finally stop shooting themselves in the foot. And therefore, uh, they could become a much more formidable foe if an election is held, say, a year from now in 2024. So do you think maybe this uh, the agreement between the two parties was more to, uh, I guess, maybe from the NDP perspective to, you know, obviously avoid an election, but avoid something that they could not afford financially? I'm going to say yes to that. But frankly, this is true for all the parties. That was an expensive election in 2021. The conservatives have bounced back the fastest. Pierre Polyev, to his credit or blame, is a very effective fundraiser. So they're probably in a pretty good place fiscally. But both the Liberals and the NDP came out of that election uh, impoverished, and they needed time to refill the coffers. So I think it's a combination of we have a chance to affect some amount of policy. Let's strike a deal to do that. And at the same time, buy us some time to, to rebuild the pots. Yeah, Mario, you've got some interesting survey results that we're going to get to in, 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 a, in a bit because I, I found them very interesting. But with the NDP and a socialist caucus, does this party suffer a bit from what the conservatives have to deal with? You know, they've got their populist wing of the party and then more of the progressive conservative or maybe uh, and then when you look at the socialist caucus as opposed to, you know, the other part of the NDP party, it seems they're not on the same page. It's been a bit, a little bit disjointed, and I think part of the problem has been, uh, in a way, the quality of the candidates at the writing level. Uh, some of the discussions that we've seen, uh, the vetting of the candidates, which is socially complicated, and you always find somebody who said something on social media and they end up stepping away. That has been one of the concerns. Uh, I think they have a couple of things going for them, which is the success of the NDP in British Columbia. There hasn't been a change in the way people feel about governance after uh, John Horgan stepped down and uh, David Eby came in, there's a victory in Manitoba. So you, you could point at a couple of things and say, we are the party that is going to get things done. Uh, the complexity, of course, is uh, the NDP does remarkably well when the conservatives are in power and the liberals are weak. And now we have a completely different situation. It's the liberals who are now governing and they're not doing particularly well. So it's a complicated issue. I, I'm, I'm, I, I think it, it really takes me back to the final stages of the first Paul Martin campaign, when it was basically don't vote for the NDP or else Harper gets in. And we might be heading into a similar scenario now. Uh, Tom, uh, the Socialist Coalition with the New Democrats, is it causing confusion, confusion among delegates and the voters? The Socialist Caucus? Yeah. Um, you know, it, this has been an ongoing issue, and frankly, I wish the party would just deal with it. The, the Socialist Caucus, it's not a caucus, it's a, it's a, it's a group, it's an, it's a, frankly, it's another political party, which is um, much to the left of the NDP, which uses the NDP conventions as a, as a way to cause mayhem, a way to cause uh, embarrassment to the NDP, and as a way to maybe recruit one or two new people to their pathetic little cause. Uh, and um, it being a party, I don't know why the New Democrats, and it's mostly in Ontario, so it would be, uh, and it's the provincial sections that govern uh, membership. Um, I don't know why they put up with it. Uh, frankly, I was on the provincial executive a number of years ago when we threw out Barry Wise's letter for exactly this kind of behavior, and he was let back in. Uh, he's not interested in, in uh, a social democracy. He's not interested in the success of the New Democratic Party. 
He's uh, extremely narcissistic and disruptive, and, and he doesn't belong on the convention floor. And frankly, he was thrown out of the convention floor, as you know, on the weekend for harassing delegates. Uh, there were a few of them. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I just, it, it's just, it, it absolutely leaves the wrong impression with uh, some Canadians. It absolutely gives, frankly, a bad uh, taste to the word socialist when these are the folks who are uh, representing that uh, that idea. Uh, and uh, and that these folks are not interested in, 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 in trying to govern and, and do better things for Canadians. So, you know, I have no time for them, and I wish my, my party would step up and, and, and deal with it um, because it gets in the way. It gets in the way. Why? Like, I don't even want to be talking about this with you because I want to be talking about health care and that we were successful in getting, well, we'll see, but we were successful in bringing some tension to the debate around health care, that we were successful about having a resolution that was very strongly endorsed about uh, condemning Hamas. And, and, and talking about you know, trying to set a course for peace in the Middle East. I mean, those are not easily done things. Uh, and yet uh, they, they were done. But Barry Wiseletter and his fan club of, you know, seven um, caused a distraction. And now we're talking about that. Well, that, and that's why does the party let that happen? You're, it's like letting the tail wag the dog. <laughs> You know what? Honestly, Ed, I, I can't. I can't tell you. Um, I can't tell you why it's been allowed to go on so long. Uh, and maybe you know, each time there's a convention, uh, you, I'll, I'll tell you this. What I can tell you is when I when I was on the provincial executive, we and we tossed out uh, this the, the leader of this internal party, dissident party. Um, later. He was uh, asked to, you know, make all kinds of promises to always be better. And, you know, I, I you know, I changed my ways and all this stuff uh, and was uh, admitted back in. You know, but then he comes back to the conventions and, and does the same stunts. And again, it's, it's not to, he's not a social Democrat. He's not trying to uh, aid the party in any way. He's trying to embarrass the party and uh, and destroy the party, frankly. And he's using it as a recruiting ground for his little kind of small leftist cult. So, you know, I got no time for the guy and I got no time for those folks. And I wish the provincial executive um, would, would, you know, find a little bit of strength because, you know, these things are always painful. But the guy's a ticking time bomb. At every convention, he goes off. Hmm. Well, wow, it's that that's bizarre. I, you, you would figure some at some point the party would would grab the bull by the horns, but it, it's a party. You know, it's a party yeah. that is very much um, feels strongly about access and 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 grassroots, and and that's wonderful. That's excellent. But but what's going on because of if him is that grassroots activists are not being held; they're being pushed to the side because of because of him. So. You know, the natural inclination of an NDP is to be inclusive and open to people. And that's what gets in the way of doing these actions, like getting rid of Barry Weisletter, I feel. All right. Uh, Marvin, uh, the NDP at the convention, uh, at least the delegates, have drawn a line in the sand uh, for universal pharmacare that a party pulls, the party would pull out with the liberals, the agreement with the liberals, if it wasn't fully, uh, fully publicly funded. Do you think the liberals are going to blink on this or are they going to rag the puck? Uh, no, I, I think they're going to come up with something. Now, from what I understand, and look, I'm not a big political insider, there had been a first draft of uh, some documentation that had been shared. The, um, the brain trust, if you will, of the NDP took a look at it and said, no, that's not really what we're looking for. So it's being redrafted. They have roughly two months of activity because 
we're going to break in December for the Christmas holidays. So between now and then, two months to make something happen. And I think this is a winner for both parties. Um, if you talk to Canadians in general, uh, our health care system is something we're very, very proud of. Uh, you'll remember that the NDP pushed for dental care, and that is beginning to get rolled out. Pharmacare. Again, the challenge for the government is to go full bore on pharmacare right from the beginning is an expensive proposition. So I'm sure this is going to be phased in over a number of years and likely phased in with the people who least benefit from a pharmacare program, i.e. the younger people, because as we get older, we seem to need more medications to survive and, and improve ourselves as we go. So I don't think we're going to start with the seniors who, who would appreciate it the most, I think, but that they'd be also the most expensive. So I think something's going to come out. Now, then the question is going to be, is that going to be enough for Jagmeet? Presumably, before it hits the, um, hits the benches in, in uh, Ottawa, <clears throat> he'll have said, yes, that looks pretty good. Can they survive amendments? Of course, the Conservatives are likely going to um, move any number of amendments they can, and they would love to drive a wedge between the Liberals and the NDP and cause this to trigger the election because they would love to go out in January or February. But I, I think something's going to happen. And here's the other interesting thing. On both of these, uh, whether it's pharmacare or dental care, once you get a program going, let's suppose there's an election next year, and let's suppose, just for the sake of argument, the Conservatives uh, get a majority. I don't see them unraveling this. Uh, once you give this benefit to Canadians, Canadians are going to say, we want this, we're going, to, we're going to keep this. Now, they can tinker around the edges, you know, we'll slow down the implementation, or we'll exclude a couple of of very expensive drugs or whatever it happens to be. But I think once this is in, this is a game changer for all time in Canada. And therefore, I encourage the NDP to push it. And I think the Liberals want to do it because I think they, they think it could be a winner out there on the campaign trail. What do you think, Mario? You think this is, uh, is going to get through or the, the Liberals are going to blink? I think they have no choice now. They have to run with it. It's important because it's an issue that affects a lot of Canadians. We know that the highest uh, number of votes is usually from the over 55. So you need to connect with that group. We know that young people don't vote as much as, as we would like them to. Uh, and it's very popular. We've asked about the dentistry plan and it's 75, 80% of Canadians saying we want this to happen. We think it makes sense for those in a lower income, similar situation with pharmacare. So it's an opportunity for the Liberals and the NDP to knock on doors and say, we got this done for you. And this is something that the Conservatives may take away or may tinker with. Um, stay with us. Uh, but it's it's going to be complicated for the NDP to take credit out of this. You know, I, I always go back to the story of the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats in the UK. You know, it worked so well the first couple of years and they were doing things and they had ministries with each other. And in the next election, the Conservatives got all of the credit and the Liberal Democrats were decimated. So it's a complicated issue for the NDP to knock on doors and say, we, we were part of this deal, but we're not the government. What do you think, Tom? I know you wanted to talk about this uh, universal pharmacare and uh, obviously it being the red line for the NDP. Uh, do you think it's going to actually boost uh, the party's success in the next election, whenever that might be? Yeah, yeah. well, I do. And, and But I think there's also um, something a little deeper here, and uh, I would love to hear other panelists' thoughts on this. Um, one of the questions that obviously that was settled on the weekend was uh, the level of support for Jagmeet Singh as leader, and he got an endorsement there. A lot of, you know, people, conservatives, um, would like to see him, you know, 
I see them on social media. Oh, you know, he should, you got to get rid of him and stuff like, well, you know, in fact, he's a pretty popular leader. Uh, if you look at polls, um, you know, maybe not in, uh, you know, southeastern, you know, Manitoba or something, but, you know, in main urban centers where the NDP is competitive, he's a plus. So, but we're also in this situation where the liberals have come down quite a bit from what, 33 last time to maybe 27 or 28 now. And that hasn't benefited the NDP. The NDP are about where they were before. Mm. That vote has gone to the conservatives. And so uh, this, is, this is what I think is, is interesting and strange. Usually we would look at uh, vote, vote switchers and say the largest group of vote switchers are New Democrat liberal vote switchers. Where are those people? Why did they not switch? Who, who were these people who switched to the conservatives? who are apparently a small, or traditionally, polling the shows, a small group of vote switchers. So are these uh, NDP liberal vote switchers still latent in, inside the liberals? And the question is, can they, be, uh, can they be brought out by the NDP at some point? What is blocking them? And I'm going to throw a theory out, and, you know, please rip it apart uh, as you mm -hmm. see fit. But I think um, Mr. Polyev has done a very effective job at his NDP uh, liberal coalition rhetoric. And polarization is an, ad, an advantage when the leader of one poll, <laughs> the liberals, is, is very um, unpopular. So while people are running away from that side of the equation, uh, where do they feel they can run to? Well, they, 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 they are feeling like if they run to the NDP, they're really running back into the arms of the same leader that they don't like, Mr. Trudeau. All they have is being effective that way. So how do how does the and New Democrats have been stifled? So how do New Democrats break that polarization? And I think the answer lies in uh, trying to open up that gap between Mr. Singh and Trudeau, creating tension into the story, uh, moving from a polar situation to more of a triangle, uh, which might also uh, create the potential of drawing back some votes that may be sitting with Mr. Polyev for anti-Trudeau reasons. Uh, and so the tension that could be created around, you know, a pharmacare plan and whether, the, as Don Davies says, the liberals are trying to weasel out or, you know, whatever, um, you know, building some tension around these points and difference and opening up that polarization in more of a triangular shape could benefit. So this is, this is how I see the problem whether, you know, the individuals in, in, uh, in the leadership positions uh, change, I don't think, you know, if Mr. Singh changed, I think he's popular, changing would change nothing because the underlying difficulty is this strategic uh, position that Mr. Polyev has put them in. Marvin, what do you, what do you think about Tom's, uh, Tom's theory? Well, I, I, let me just put a slightly different spin on sure. it, if you don't mind. I have okay. a saying, uh, he who never does anything can never do anything wrong. And when you are Mr. Polyev, you're not doing anything. Your mission is just to keep poking and poking and poking and poking and poking. And today we have, uh, to me, as a business professor, we have an okay economy. It's not great, but it's not, it's not in terrible shape. We're not in a recession. We still have full uh, employment. Um, inflation has been coming down. No, not where it should be, but it has come down. I was just recently in Denmark. If you think things are expensive here, think $3 a liter for gasoline in Denmark and think, you know, a hamburger and French fries 
with a Diet Coke at $33. Uh, that's pretty common over there. So, you know, we're actually doing pretty well. But while that's the reality, that's not the perception. And so Mr. Polyev is able to tap into this perception of many Canadians that, oh, you know, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. You know, it's too much. Oh, I don't know. And, of course, the blame game, as, as Tom correctly said, goes to Mr. Trudeau. And unfortunately, to some extent, the NDP for propping him up. Um, but uh, I, I think when we get ever, whenever we get to a campaign and then the conservatives have to do something. In other words, they've got to put out a set of policies and say, we want to be elected to do X, Y, Z, whatever it happens to be. Then we may see these numbers change. So uh, to Tom's right. It does appear that a number of liberal voters have swung over to the conservatives to, to sort of uh, uh, make a protest about Justin and say, we're not happy with the status quo. But will that lead them to put an X on a ballot? At this point, I think it's a little soft to make that prediction. Uh, Mario, uh, I'll let you jump in on that. Did you want to uh, reply on Tom's idea? I think, you know, what we've noticed is uh, the voter that is sort of abandoning the liberals. Uh, and again, I, I think it's true that it's more of a window shopping situation at this stage uh, is the 35 to 54 year old. And, and to me, that is really striking because this is, you know, young families, everything's a little more expensive. Uh, now I need to think about my parents who are ailing or my kids who are young. That's the group that is looking at what is being said by Pierre Polyev and saying maybe he's got a point. Maybe all of this is Justin Trudeau's fault now, but it's soft. It's, it's a situation that is not necessarily going to lead to a massive change if the election were to happen tomorrow. I th think people still need to figure out what Polyev stands for. Uh, the one thing that has been incredibly successful at is uh, the decimation of the People's Party, which wasn't a very hard task to begin with, uh, but the numbers are now exceedingly low for that party. At, you know, Research Co., uh, Mario, has been out in the field, and you've got some interesting results. It seems this coalition has lost its majority. As Canadians, as you put it to, to people, uh, a liberal NDP merger. And Canadians don't want that. Why is that? Well, we have 36% of decided voters who say, I would put my eggs on the ballot for a liberal NDP coalition, sort of, or a new party that is created. And this still leaves them way behind the conservatives. So part of what happens is people from both sides are turned off by this idea. You know, liberals who go, I don't want to be with the NDP. NDPers who go, we don't want to really merge with the liberals. But the level of support, even for something like this, because this is something that happens a lot in Pondicherry. Well, if you add the NDP to the liberals, that would mean that we get to 75%. No, it doesn't work that way. And part of the complexity here is we also asked about specific scenarios. Do you want to do uh, what Stefan Dion and Elizabeth May did in 2006? We only run in, can in, in, in areas where we can win. And this way we can assure that, this, that there's a center-left uh, option in your writing. And then we can form some sort of coalition. People didn't like that either. Uh, and the, the one area where it changes drastically is in Quebec. Uh, when we ask about the United NDP Liberal Party under Jack Mead Singh, the numbers plummet in Quebec. Trudeau does a lot better, certainly not a lot better as far as pushing the national numbers up, but that is where the difference is. Uh, the other area that is striking for me is, is BC, where in the two options, we have the Conservatives at 49 and 50%. They haven't gotten that level of support since Stockwell Day in 2000. So maybe something is afoot in the West. Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. Tom, what, what do you think about that? Like, you know, the idea about the liberals and the NDP, if they did merge, which most Canadians don't want to see, 
still wouldn't give them leverage against a conservative right now. It looks like a conservative juggernaut. Well, I think Mario pointed out that it's 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 a it's a pundit fantasy, but it's just it's just not real. I mean, the, the New Democratic Party and the CCF before it were, were created because of the Liberals, because they did, because many people didn't feel like the Liberals were living up to their word, and that's still a, a, a big driver of uh, in, of NDP support is that you know Liberals say things, but then they don't do things, and so we need the NDP to be there to force them to do things, and that's what Singh's doing right now. It's what Leighton did, it's what Broadbent did, it's what Lewis did, it's what Douglas did. You know, th- that's what the NDP is here for. Uh, now, uh, so, you know, I also think there's an, a, a very strong anti-incumbent mood because there's another interesting dynamic. We just had, um, uh, you, you know, an election in Manitoba mm-hmm. where the New Democrats scored 45, 46% of the vote uh, to the Conservatives, uh, 42, I think. And uh, the Liberals, you know, I think got one seat. And the the... What's interesting here is that Heather Stephenson's government went down, um, convincingly so, and yet if we had a federal vote, the people of Manitoba would be voting conservative. Uh, We have a popular NDP government in British Columbia, yet if we had a federal vote, British Columbians apparently would vote conservative. We have a premier, a conservative premier in Ontario, who seems to be falling in the polls as fast as corruption will push him. But I think there's more to it than that. Uh, and, you know, you've got Higgs in chaos. Uh, and even even Legault is, um, is far down from where he was in his election of, what was that, 18 months ago? Yep. So is there just, you know, even Scott Moe, right, who was, you know, sailing with 60, 65% support is, is, is down below 50%. And, and so there's a, it seems to be just an anti-incumbent mood. So it doesn't, I'm wondering whether it's, so much uh, of Polyev's attraction is, and this goes back to Martin's point, is is that he is anti-incumbent because he doesn't stand for anything. He stands for kick the bums out, and that's pretty much it. People aren't thinking beyond that. Um, but if somebody comes along with a better plan, um, as the Democrats did in Manitoba, they can, right? They can overturn it mm-hmm. because people just they don't feel like their governments are being effective for them. Just to wind it up, we're going to go around the horn here between the three of you. Will the agreement between the NDP and the Liberals last until 2025, or will the plug be pulled before that? We'll start with you, Tom. Um, very good chance it won't last to 2025. Uh, though, of course, it all has to do with uh, policy uh, uh, policy being uh, completed the policy uh, in the in the in the agreement. On one hand, the New Democrats, if they felt like they were up in the polls, uh, and we're yet to see that, but if they felt they were up in the polls, they would look to pull the pin and and try and take advantage of the situation. On the other hand, I think they earnestly uh, feel very committed to the idea that we got to see this pharmacare thing through. We got to make sure that this dental plan gets straightened out. Uh, and we have to make sure that we win an anti-scab law for the labor movement. Uh, and if we if we kill this government before any of those things are done, um, we've defeated ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, right. so you know, uh, you get the best chance uh, uh, ever to 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 do make some big changes, and 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 you blow it. Um, so that's that's the tension. 
So uh, could it last? Could it last easily? I, so I think it's got to go into next year for sure. But will it go into um, the scheduled date of? I guess it's October twenty twenty five. Maybe not. Maybe once these big things get done, maybe we start to see some change in the shifting in the polls. Maybe then. All right. Marvin, what do you think? Will it last uh, till 2025 or do you think it's going to end before that? So let's go by year. I think it'll last through 2023 without any problem because as was just shared by Tom, they definitely want the farmer care through. That will take till Christmas. So nothing's going to happen this year. I don't think anything's going to happen in the spring of 2024 either. Uh, again, as Tom had pointed out, there's some other things the NDP want. And frankly, there's some more things the, the Liberals want to try to do. Now, by the fall of 2024, I can see people getting tired of being bedfellows with one another. Now, some of this will depend upon polling. Can, can um, Mr. Trudeau uh, uh, resuscitate his image and start come roaring back? If he does, then people might want to wait a little while longer. Maybe he'll trip on something else and shoot himself again. Um, but I think maybe in the fall, with a triggering of an election in early 2025. So I could see a vote normally in the uh, fall economic update in October leads to some non-confidence in late 2024 with a vote in early 2025. But I know, I don't think it'll get all the way to October 2025. All right. And Mario, what do you think? Will it last that long or no? I think it goes until 2025. The wild card for me is the U.S. election. Do you really want to have a campaign in the fall of 2024 uh, if it's Trump versus Biden or whoever else it is, and then start to use that to your advantage as far as this is the type of politics that Pierre Polyev could be bringing to Canada. That could be one of them. Uh, but I, I, I also think they need a larger runway. You know, part of the problem we've seen with governments on the issue of housing in BC is that everything takes time. And then two years later, people want to see those housing starts. They want to see something that's meaningful. And we haven't had that success. And I think they need to go into the federal campaign by saying this is how many people have pharmacare. This is how many people can go to the dentist now. You need to cut some ribbons if you want to pull the plug. And I just don't see them having the wrong way until 2025. All right, uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us today. Our guests on Unpublished TV, Tom Park, an NDP strategist and commentator. Marvin Ryder with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. And Mario Ketseko, the president of Research Co. And I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.